Welcome to the Making Smart Decisions Podcast, strategies for your financial future. Complex topics made simple and actionable so when it comes to your money, you're making smart decisions. And now for the disclaimer. The following program is sponsored by JT Financial Group, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities offered through JW Cole Financial Incorporated, JWC member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through JW Cole Advisors Incorporated, JWCA. JT Financial Group and JWC, JWCA are unaffiliated entities. With decades of experience, here's your host, Josh Tirado. Welcome to the Making Smart Decisions podcast. I'm your host, Josh Tirado. And for this episode, we are going to launch into some myth busting. In media currently, it seems as though there is a plethora of misinformation. And it seems that being first or having your topic be popular is more important than being correct. There are a lot of common myths out there surrounding finances, and I want to debunk several of them. My goal is to actually provide you with a little bit of background information on it so you can make your own smart decision about whether it's a myth or whether it applies to you. So the first one is some advice that I, when new clients come in, that they've received from their HR department or that they've heard, and it's max out your 401k. I hear that day in and day out. To me, that's a myth. I don't think that's a right fit for everyone. So max out your 401k to put in the, the, the total amount you can put in ends up being a significant amount of money or it could be a significant percentage. My, this is a rule of thumb, my rule of thumb is to contribute enough to get the employer match. So let me be very clear about this also. If there is no employer match or legally there needs to be one, but it's minimal and it's not every year, you may have better options outside of a 401k. The main advantage of your 401k is to max out your employer match, not max out the 401k plan. I say that because if you put in a dollar and your employer matches it with a dollar, you immediately have a hundred percent return on your money without taking any risk. And there's also tax advantages to it. However, if your employer only matches, say up to the first 3% or $3 that you're putting in, and they don't match above that, and you're putting in 9%, 12%, 15%, something really large, and they're only matching that first piece, the rest of it is, is still an investment, but there may be other better options. Oftentimes, the investment options inside your 401k plan are quite limited as to what's in there. The fees can be high. They've changed rules around several years ago to make fee disclosure more prominent and make fee disclosure clearer. However, in a lot of cases, you still don't get the full picture unless you really dig into the numbers what all the fees are. So your 401k can be more expensive than it needs to be. Your options can be limited. And the rules concerning a 401k versus other types of investments are, are different. So depending on your situation, it could be advantageous because you can take a loan. It might not be advantageous because it's very locked up and there might be um, a vesting period before that money is all yours to take with you. So th there's a lot of pros and cons here, but what I want to say is max out your 401k is not always the best option. You want to put in enough, get the employer match so you get an immediate return on your money. And then above that, take a serious look at, should I do a different IRA on my own and have control over it? Should I do a Roth IRA? Should I do a brokerage account? So it's not necessarily tied up until I reach age 59 and a half. And I could use the money sooner for something else. Maybe I have short and intermediate term goals where this money doesn't have to go towards retirement, but rather I have a goal that's coming up in the next two years, five years, 10 years that I need to save for to reach rather than have it be tied up for retirement. The tax advantages are great, 
but they're tied to retirement. So what I'm saying is that whole max out your 401k, not always the best solution. Second myth I want to go over is the concept of all debt is bad debt. And don't get me wrong. I have a number of clients who at one point in their life were in substantial debt and they managed to get it all paid off and they're quite successful. And, and sometimes the debt is for education. Sometimes the debt was for launching a business. There's a million different reasons to have debt. It's not always credit card debt or somebody made poor decisions. They might just have a lot of debt. They worked very hard to get out of the debt and now they're very debt adverse. They don't want to go back into debt. And they make that conscious decision when I say, okay, you could leverage some debt versus paying it all off. And long-term, here are the numbers. It works out better for you if you did not pay all cash and you were to use some debt. And they understand that. And they're willing to forego that to sleep soundly at night. They don't want to have any debt. So they make that decision. Other people understand it and they leverage debt. For instance, a business. It's very hard in a lot of cases to start a business without taking on some sort of debt. Or you start the business, but to grow and reach the next level, you need more money. And oftentimes, rather than using your cash reserves, if you're lucky enough to have any, borrowing some money, especially at very low interest rates, is a much smarter decision where you keep your cash on hand for when you need it. Some people call it, you know, dry powder. You can borrow the money and leverage it. And then you can also, on top of it, get tax advantages or write-offs for that debt. So leveraging that debt and what other people, what a lot of people refer to as OPM, other people's money, utilizing that debt is a really smart choice. And in the end, will put you further ahead. There's, of course, bad debt. You don't want to run up credit cards at 20%, 25% interest, uh, especially to buy consumer goods that you don't really need. But all debt's not bad. For instance, I recently got a new car, used, but new to me. On the used car, the financing was right around 2%. It made a lot more sense to me rather than buying the car to finance it at 2% interest and use my money for other things, invest it, grow the business, do what have you that provides a return. The same thing for a mortgage. Some people are blessed where they could put down a large amount of money to buy their house or even just buy cash. And this market is so crazy. Sometimes that's what you have to do to win the bid to get the house. But if you do that, I still advise you to take a mortgage out afterwards because when you get a mortgage that is around 2% or 3%, with some positive tax implications on it, that's amazing. You, you can borrow the money at 2% or 3% and do something else with your cash where it stays liquid, it stays available to you, and you can get a better return on it elsewhere. So paying off the house earlier, putting down a huge down, down payment, long-term when you, when you have your advisor run the numbers, you may actually be behind by doing that rather than putting down less and using your other money for other purposes. So when I say all debt is bad, all debt is not bad. Finance a car, you can finance a house. Those you can finance your business. Those options can work out really well. If you are one of those people though that absolutely needs to be debt free to be comfortable, then we do that and we work around it. Just know that in many cases, if you can deal with a little uncomfort and go with some debt, it, it, it can benefit you. I have some clients who are older, the house is paid off, but we'd look to get a beach house, lake house, mountain house insert whatever house you, you think of where you'd want to spend some time, they are able to refinance their house and use some of those proceeds to buy the second property. And that property gives them a lot of joy and, and helps achieve their goals of where they want to be and where they want to spend their time. That results in a mortgage, but they're trading off that mortgage at a very low interest rate for an asset that will most likely appreciate. And they get to really enjoy it for a lot of years. So it's a good trade-off. So all I want to say is Approach debt, all debt's not bad. There's another thing, good rule of thumb, 
that I advise if you own your home, you have more than 20% equity in the home. I advise clients to get a HELOC or a home equity line of credit. Generally speaking, in this current environment, it is relatively easy to get little to no fees at all for opening one and usually little to no fees for maintaining it. Now it's a home equity line of credit. So the bank looks at it and says, okay, you've all this equity. We're willing to give you a line of credit and extend it for whatever it is, say $50,000. You're not using the 50,000. It's sitting on the sidelines, but you're approved for it. It's set up. You can use it if you had to, if there was an emergency. But if there is an emergency and you need the money, generally speaking, it takes too long to set up the home equity line of credit. So you don't get the money fast enough. And if things are bad finance-wise or say you lost your job, they're less likely to give you the line of credit because now you're, say you're unemployed or you're injured or something has happened. So get it while the times are good. If you have the equity in the house, set up the, the HELOC, don't use it, but know it's there for an extra rainy day fund, just in case. We still wanna have savings, we still wanna have cash on hand, but in case of a true emergency, you can write a check out of your home equity line of credit and have access to that money. And now your home, which you're not gonna sell, but you wanna maintain that asset, you now have access to some of the equity in that property. All debt is not bad debt. Next myth, 529s are just for college. And this comes an issue when people say, what if my kids don't wanna to go to college? Or the economy is changing. Hey, I think my kid is entrepreneurial. Or maybe my child wants to go to, to technical school and college isn't gonna be the, the road that they take. There's been changes all along, but the most recent changes, 529s have become very flexible. You don't have to use them for college. You use them for master's degree, doctorates, trade school, technical school, private high school. I know some people that are using the 529 money to help pay for private kindergarten. It's also been extended where it now can cover room and board, books, materials, supplies, not just tuition. If you're thinking about putting the money aside for your child and you're like, my child may not want to do college, maybe they want to be a chef. Maybe they're going to be a welder. Maybe you want to use it because they're trying to go to some sort of specialty high school. Maybe it's, well, my kid got a full ride to college, full scholarship. They don't need to pay for their undergrad, but they're going to go back for their master's or something. The money can be used for that. So it's become extremely flexible. If you want the tax benefit from it, you have to use it for a qualified educational expense. So if your child is entrepreneurial and you want to perhaps give them seed money for a business or give them down payment for a house or something, the money, if it comes out of the 529, not have the tax advantages anymore. So for many of my clients, I tell them to straddle the fence, some money into a 529 for education, some money into a brokerage account, if they want to put it aside in your market for the child, so they can use that money completely unencumbered in whatever way can benefit the, the child. Now, caveat, I make sure the clients can take care of their long-term goals first. The education for the child comes after once they make sure they've taken care of their other more important goals, because you can borrow for college, but you can't borrow to retire. So we cover that first college second. So 529s are great. They become a lot more flexible. They're not just for college. More people can use them. So what if you put money in a 529 for your child and they decide either they don't need it or they don't go that route of education when they can't use the 529? What happens to it? Bear in mind, the 529 is actually in the parent's name and the child is listed as a beneficiary. The money simply stays in the parent's name and continues to grow tax deferred and then is treated just like another IRA that they can uh, access after age 59 and a half. So the money can stay invested, stay in your name, and just be used for retirement if your child 
doesn't need it for any sort of educational expense. You do not lose out on the money. Also, the money can be transferred from child to child. You can transfer it between cousins. It can go to a niece or a nephew. You can use it for yourself. You can use it for your spouse if you have to go back to school. They become much, much more flexible, not nearly as restrictive as they once were when they started out. Don't think it's just for college, but you might want to do it in conjunction with a brokerage account or other savings so you have options. The last myth I want to address today is that life insurance is too expensive. Life insurance is not a fun topic. It, it, it really isn't. But I just want to put this in, in, in context. When I first got licensed to do insurance and investments, my insurance license came first. I was 20. The very first person I ever approached about selling life insurance to, and I sold life insurance to, person was younger. The cost was, was lower. Okay. We, we set it up properly for his budget. Several months in, decided that it was too expensive. He was young, didn't want to bother with it. And he dropped his life insurance. He canceled the policy. Not right away, but within the next year, two years. And this is sad. This is unfortunate. I'm, and I'm not trying to make an example of this, but I just want to say this for educational purposes. He drops the insurance. About a year later, he is in a motorcycle accident and he passes away. And he didn't have the insurance. Now, at that point, there was no beneficiaries, no spouse. Y yes, it, it took a financial toll on his family and his parents to have to pay for things and bury him. It could have been much more financially devastating if there's other people relying on him. But at the end of the day, it's still, and we're talking 20 plus years later, it still bothers me that he thought it was too expensive. He didn't see the need. He dropped the coverage. And then shortly thereafter, he, he passes away. So please don't think life insurance is too expensive. And I know there's lots of advertisements on TV and people are always harping about, oh, how cheap it is for $15 a month. A certain person aged this in good health can have a bajillion dollars for $15 a month. You see those advertisements all the time. Yes, 99.9% .9 of the time they're too good to be true. But that being said, if you're in good enough health to get insurance, as long as you qualify, the insurance is generally not that expensive. There are many different types of policies, many different types of plans. You can get something in place that, that suits your needs and more than likely is affordable or is less than you think. Please don't ignore it. Please don't think the stuff you get at work, if you get insurance from work, is enough. In, in every client I've ever met with, the amount of insurance they're getting from work is not enough. Even if they pick up the supplemental additional insurance from work, it is not enough. And if they switch jobs, it doesn't go with them. So your own insurance, your own life insurance is important. It also applies to disability insurance. Not as expensive as you would think, especially if you're a business owner, because you can get the insurance to cover your business, to keep your business running if you get injured, not just necessarily pay you out. So what's great is you can still draw money from the business, but the insurance policy is paying to keep your business up and running until you can go back to work. There are options out there. Please do not wait. It's too late. These items are not that expensive. You can get them. So those are four very common myths that many clients, many financial articles, many TV shows I see all touch on, and depending on your situation, they're going to be false for the majority of people. Thanks for your time and go forward and make smart decisions. Thanks for listening to Making Smart Decisions with Josh Dorado. For more information and show notes, visit our website at jtfinancialgroup.com. Email a question or schedule an appointment. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a guide for your journey. The preceding program is sponsored by JT Financial Group, which is solely responsible for its content.
Securities offered through JW Cole, financial member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through JW Cole Advisors, JT Financial Group, and JW Cole Financial. And JW Cole Advisors are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by JT Financial Group should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal. Any tax advice on this show is not intended to be used by a person for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax penalties that may be imposed on such person. And each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. JT Financial Group is not providing legal or tax advice. Nothing should be construed as solicitation or an offer to buy securities.